Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our Friday face-to-face episode series. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I am super excited to bring Lacey Peterson on the show today. Lacey, before we dive into this big topic of networking and all sorts of other fun things, I'd love to just briefly have you give us an introduction. How did you come to be at Utah State University? What do you currently do at USU? Give us the rundown. Yeah. Hi, Marissa. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm happy to give a little bit of an introduction. So I'm Lacey Peterson. I am the director of the Master of Dietetics Administration here at Utah State University. And what that program is, is we train people to be registered dietitians. So I am a registered dietitian by training. I have been a registered dietitian for 18 years. And I have been at Utah State for just over 10. So last year I had my 10-year anniversary. (laughs) And I've worked in... Um, the dietetics programs the entire time I've been here, and I've been the director for a little over five years now. So my kind of career trajectory is I um, became a registered dietitian, and then I worked in hospitals and clinics for the first part of my career. I largely worked in diabetes management, and so that's my area of expertise is helping people live healthy lives with diabetes. I did that for seven years, and then I decided I wanted to go in a different direction. So I actually went and worked as a pharmaceutical sales rep. Really? And yeah, and I decided that that was um, a very interesting job, but not the job for me. It did not maximize my strengths by any means. Mm. Salary was good. Um, It's flexible, but I didn't find that I was really contributing to society. So I knew I wanted to pivot from that. So I looked back on my career and I said, what did I love the most? And I found that I loved working with students the most. So randomly, a position opened up here at Utah State, and I had experience working with this program because I was a preceptor. I helped train students like in the hospital prior to that. So when the position opened up, I applied and I was offered the position. And now I feel like it's just history. (laughs) Oh man, I didn't know that. And that's, I think that's really a really cool pathway, mostly because there's so many different pieces that got you here. Oftentimes, especially a faculty member may have some industry experience, but I love that you have different pockets of industry experience, if that makes sense. (laughs) That's one of the great things about the program I work in. So not only me, but the other faculty that work in the program, we all have very diverse experiences as practitioners. So a lot of times in academia, people are academics, right? They went to school, they learned how to do research and they stayed in the university setting. And so for all of us, we have been out in the world um, practicing as registered dietitians. And then, you know, coming into academia, that was never my plan. But then once I was here for a while, I went on to get a PhD. I graduated with my PhD in 2022. And so now I feel like I'm a real academic. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Whatever that means. (laughs) Right. No, that's great. Well, before we jump into questions, Lacey, uh, I need a fun fact. And apparently your cats are not cool enough to be the fun fact. So what is the fun fact, Lacey? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we were talking earlier, we were talking about animals and I was talking about my cats. And But I would say that my fun fact is that I am certified to scuba dive with sharks. What? So where do you do so that? It's still, it's still animal related, yes. but it's just going to be like a much more fun fact than... 
some old cats that are hanging out. So my husband and I are both very avid scuba divers. Um, we're both master scuba divers. And so you can get extra certifications and specialties. And so one of our specialties is diving with sharks. <laughs> okay. I have to know backstory just a little bit. Where, where did that come from? Like you weren't in Utah and discovered this for you? <laughs> no, not at all. So to become a master scuba diver, you have to get these, you have to get five specialties. Okay. So often when we go on vacation, I pretty much work and go on vacation. That's what I love. And so as we would go on vacation, historically, we would look for new specialties as we were kind of building up our portfolio. We were in Honduras. And when we were in Honduras, there was this course for shark diving specialty. So I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Why don't we do that? And so this was quite a few years ago. But interestingly enough, just a few months ago in September, I was in the Turks and Caicos. We were scuba diving. And I was just thinking about how many people are out in the ocean. And we don't really think about, there's a lot of sharks out there. Now, they're not at the surface. So there's really nothing to worry about. But down deep at 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 feet, there are a lot of sharks down there. So I just remember one morning I'm out going for a swim in the ocean and I was just laughing to myself going, you know, I, I saw at least 20 sharks in the few days I was there when I was deep in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that shark specialty and I appreciate the the wildlife we have in our oceans. <laughs> All right, Lacey, that might be one of the best fun facts I've ever heard on the show. So you might win the prize there. <laughs> Next time I'll share some other fun facts with you too. I have lots of fun things I've done in my life. So <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's, let's jump into things um, again, loosely. We're kind of centering this, this conversation around our monthly theme, which is all about networking. Um, but before we get too deep into that, I'd really love to learn a little bit more from your perspective what exactly is the field of dietetics? And then also maybe taking it a step further, what's the potential impact that you see that field already making or that they could make in the future? Absolutely. It's such a great question because most people know when they hear the term nutrition, that it's related to food and healthy eating. But what is a registered dietitian? So a registered dietitian is a licensed healthcare provider that focuses on using food to help prevent or moderate disease states. Now, in the state of Utah, we hear the term nutritionist, but nutritionist is not a um, licensed or regulated term. So anybody in the state of Utah can claim they are a nutritionist, but they cannot claim that they are a registered dietitian. So registered dietitians have a nationwide registration that says they are that licensed healthcare provider. So I always tell people, if you're looking for somebody to help with healthy eating or moderating different disease states through food, you really wanna work with a registered dietitian more so than the generic term nutritionist. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes total sense. Adding a little bit of backing behind the position. And like you say, having nationally regulated standards and and expectations, all very good things. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's really rigorous to become a dietitian. Um, Historically, we had to get a bachelor's degree and then do over a thousand hours of supervised hands-on learning. Now in January of this next year, they're elevating that to a master's degree. So every registered dietitian who will sit for the national exam will have a master's degree plus that 1000 hours plus of supervised experiential learning. So 
there is a lot that goes into that degree and into that credential. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And actually, I kind of want to dig in a little bit to to your story, how you got to dietetics, and specifically thinking about um, an individual or maybe one or two that come to mind. Um, when you think about people who have played a large a large role in your career success, and I know we define success in a lot of different ways, but when you think about you know where you're at in your career, um, what who or, or what individual stands out to you, and what specifically did they do that that really felt supportive at that time? That's such a great question, and I think we have different mentors, you know, all along our lives, including our career trajectories. And I would have to say that my my very first mentor is probably my mother. Um, I am a first generation college attendee and graduate. My mother was or is still to this day. My mother is 72 years old and she is a waitress. And so I kind of grew up around food service and the rest and restaurants and so on and so forth. And so that paid a really big part in my life. But I also saw that that's not what I wanted to do with my life. And I had to identify what I could do to kind of change that trajectory. So I was always really interested in food. I was also often interested in different types of sports that I played when I was young. And I don't know where along the path I came across the term registered dietitian. Because when I was young, I really didn't know what that was. Right. I kind of just got it in my head that that's what I was going to do. And I think that's really important sometimes for students to hear or individuals who are maybe changing career paths. You don't always know what the path is you're going to end up on. Part of it is just getting on a path, moving forward, and then being flexible because you might pivot, you might not pivot. And so that's kind of what I did as a young individual, really looking at my mom for, um, she was just an, she's an extraordinary person. And she, a lot of my strengths stem from the values that she gave me. And so from there, I went to college um, and I didn't actually have a lot of mentorship in my undergraduate career. Mm. And I don't want to say that that was um, the institution's fault. And I didn't go to Utah State, but (laughs) I was working full time and going to school and I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know who to reach out to. I kind of put these blinders on and I kind of kept this idea that I just needed to check the boxes to move forward. And I think that that was, you know, my own hesitation to show that maybe I could accept help or I didn't know anything. So I don't feel like I had a ton of mentorship or was even open to that mentorship as an undergrad. Now, I went straight from undergrad into a master's program because where I was going to school, the only dietetics program was at the master's level. And this is where I really started meeting mentors. I was in this you know, very small program. There was only 12 students in our program. We had a very tight cohort. But then I saw that our professors, and we use the term preceptors, people who teach us in clinical or community-based sites, you know, they really worked hard to support students, to give them a foundation to build from, but then also to help them, again, find that path and career trajectory that we need. And so... I found that some of my mentors from my first graduate degree also carried over into my graduate degree that I completed 15 years later. That's so cool. (laughs) And 
the other thing that's really great is a lot of these mentors, and there's quite a few of them, I'm still in contact with today. And that's the great thing with making those mentorship connections within your area of focus. Those mentors become your colleagues and your friends over time. And you can still go to them for advice and for support and for help. But then you also start developing these deeper connections as colleagues as well. And Lacey, I don't know if you know it or not, but you you just define in my like my perception, like you just define networking at like its best. It's building those relationships that last over time where you're both giving back and, and there's value on both ends. And so I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. Um, and I'd actually love to take that question and kind of flip it now. I'd love to have you share maybe an experience where you've been able to support a student or or just another professional as they're growing in their their career. I feel like that the big focus of my entire job is providing mentorship. But I think it's interesting because, for example, um, connecting that mentorship and that networking just recently, every October we have a national conference. It's the Food Nutrition Conference and Expo. We have it you know, nationwide every year. And students can attend this conference at a very discounted rate if they want to volunteer. And so one of my students wanted to volunteer. Then one of my graduates from many, many years ago, she is a very well-known media dietitian and she was hosting this really big event at the conference in one of the evenings. And she was looking for volunteers. Actually, that's a lie. She was not. She was looking for some individuals to work in paid positions at the event. So then I connected my student who was going to the conference to this individual to work the event. You get to meet people, you get to network, and she could make a little bit of money. Well, fast forward a couple weeks later, that graduate of mine was looking for a new assistant, a new virtual assistant. Oh my goodness. And ended up hiring this current student of mine to be her virtual assistant. Wow. The same graduate, the same individual actually hired another one of my graduates just a couple of years ago, and she's continued to work for the same organization as well. The, the best thing about this is that one graduate lives in Connecticut, one graduate lives here in Utah, and the other graduate lives in another state. I don't remember what state she lives in, but these are connections that we're making nationwide. Yeah. And that's the power of building these relationships because when she went to hire this student as, as her virtual assistant, she did so on my recommendation. Yes. I sent the, I sent this person an email said, this student is amazing. You would really benefit from, you know, having her work for you. And she's like, that's all it took. Your recommendation made me choose this person over all of the other applicants that I have. Yep. And so, and this will, you know, these will change the trajectory of everyone's lives. And so I really do think there's so much power in building those relationships and not for just the sake of getting something out of it, but I think we get something out by seeing people we know nationwide. I love going to this conference. I see people that I know, you know, that live throughout the United States at the same conference. I had this individual walk up to me and she's like, hi, Lacey. And I said, just give me a minute. I know you're a graduate of my program. 
let me just think for one second. And I sat there, I stood there and I looked at her. So this is in 2023. I stood there and looked at her and I said, your name is Audrey and you live in Washington and you graduated in 2016. And she was like, how did you remember any of that? And like, <laughs> that's, that's my job. That's the power of relationships and networking yeah. is because I've actually only met that person one time in person. And I never saw her again because we we are a distance program. Yeah. And so I think it's so important to connect with people and build relationships um, because it makes every aspect of our personal and our professional lives better. I love that. And on a practical side for folks listening and thinking, okay, networking, like this sounds great relationship building. I'm all in, but they're like, how do I actually do this? Like, how do I actually maintain a relationship? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it via email? Is it phone calls? Like, what does it look like for you? I think it's all of those things. So one of the things I think about is if I'm going to a conference, so whether it's a small local conference, if it's a large conference, if it's a meet and greet, the first thing I do is I go in, there's probably tables. I sit down and I just start talking to people around me. Tell, introduce myself. Where do I live? What do I do? Get their information, start talking to them. And then I just start breaking down, you know, what do we have in common? Now that could be for dietitians, it's the love of food. It could be cats versus dogs. It could be where you like to vacation. There are so many things that we have in common. People have more in common than they really do have differences. And so I try to really start breaking down what do we have in common? And then you just start talking about that. And then you start connecting with people. Then I, you know, I still use business cards and that's a little bit controversial, but I always have them. Just in case, right? Just in case, right? Everybody loves a piece of paper. So share a business card, definitely connect on LinkedIn, send that person a text message, or at these big conferences, we often go out to dinner and I'll say, hey, Thursday, we're going to go out to dinner. Do you want to come and join us? And I start making these connections um, one by one. And I found I have so many colleagues and friends all over the country now because of these small connections that I've made. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. And it almost kind of brings me to this next question, actually, because, you know, I was actually thinking about your story and how you, I mean, you came from a, a food background, if you will, but your mom was not a dietitian. You know, your family was not of of that. And and so for a student who's maybe interested in whether it's dietetics or something else where their family has no connections, it's a very new thing for their family. I guess what advice would you give to those folks as they are maybe recognizing, yes, I need to start networking to grow my professional relationships in this new industry, but it's maybe feeling a little overwhelming or even scary because again, it's new. Their family, you know, is not familiar with it. I think this also sounds scary, but I would say, talk to your professors. Mm. I'm always like begging students, just talk to your professors, go talk to your professors. Now you are not going to connect with every single professor on a professional level or on a personal level, but you're, you just need to connect with one. And if you have a professor or an instructor who is in your uh, the area that you're really interested in, ask them about where are good places to network? Are there conferences? Are there meetings? Often most professions in general, it's hard with, with healthcare or medicine. We have a lot of places that we can network and connect, but often there's professional associations mm -hmm. at the state level, sometimes at the city level, and definitely at the national level. And that's a great way to connect with, with people as well. 
And so I tell people, you know, look up, is there a professional association? Do they have any types of meetings? Or just send them an email and say, can I volunteer? If you start volunteering, that's a great way to just start, meet, you know, making those connections, meeting new people. And then those people might end up becoming your mentors and showing you the ropes on how to really get into a specific area or niche. I love that piece of advice. And it even makes me think when I, when I first came to USU and was very new to the career services field, I got involved with a national association. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, well, here we go. Jumped in. And and I still have connections from that first committee that I served on. And when I go, you know, to the, the state and national, you know, different conferences, I, I see those folks and I still have that connection. Um, and so sometimes, like you say, even just coming together for, you know, a shared purpose in the field to whether it's, you know, hosting a workshop or whatever the committee is, um, but just getting involved can be a really great place to start the network. And I also love the advice about faculty. As a student myself, I think I was a little bit scared of faculty and I still don't always know why I felt that way. I think part of it's just when college is new and, you know, there's all of those different factors, but but they really want to support students. The reason at least 99% of the faculty I know are in the profession is they want to see students succeed. So a really great place to start growing your network too. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think sometimes last night I just taught class and the topic they were talking about last night was uh, different generations in the workplace. We currently have five generations in the workplace or in the professional workplace. You know, Gen Alpha is going to start, you know, coming in as well. And I think sometimes when students look at professors, there's could be a considerable age gap or they think that, oh, we probably don't have anything in common. But that's where, you know, I was mentioning, we always have more commonality than differences. And so it is hard at first, but I think if you're just forthright with your professor and say, you know, I really want to learn how to network. Can you give me some tips and tricks? Now, with that being said, not every professor is great at networking. True. <laughs> so if they're not great at networking or they're like, oh, I'm not really good at that. That's not my forte. Then you could ask them, do you know somebody else I could connect with? Because they absolutely are going to have some other colleague or somebody they can connect you with. Maybe that's more of their forte. I mean, there is something to be said for introverts and extroverts. I'm very extroverted. I can talk to anybody for hours on end. But if that's not something that somebody enjoys, that networking component can still can feel a little bit daunting because you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. And again, one of the coolest parts about networking is oftentimes, even if somebody in your network doesn't have the answer, they can refer you, right? They can make that connection and, and broaden your network. So I appreciate it. Even that. if they don't love to talk. Right, right. They have, they have a network still. That's right. So if they're not the right person, you're just going to infiltrate their network to start building your own network. But one of the things I do, I do love LinkedIn. Like I don't spend a ton of time on there because there's just so many different platforms, but every person I meet, I try to connect on LinkedIn. And I actually um, do some social media for my job. And one of the posts I did not that long ago was, hey, dietetic students across the nation, here's my LinkedIn. And I just put my LinkedIn on a green screen, said connect with me. And I actually had quite a few people connect with me through that. But, you know, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with people nationwide. It's low stakes. It's not invasive. And you can kind of come in and out of that social media platform as you desire. 
Yeah, I love that. And maybe I'll just add a little tidbit and almost, I swear, almost every career coaching appointment I've ever had, I almost always end up taking students to LinkedIn um, because Utah State University or whatever institution you attend, oftentimes will have a LinkedIn page that has an alumni section. And I almost always direct students there. So if you do want to, you know, maybe broaden your network, have an informational interview, whatever the case may be, using that alumni feature to then search for individuals with similar you know, educational backgrounds, work history, whatever the case is, um, that's a really nice way to reach out to a stranger because you already have that connection of like your institution. So that's like a little tidbit. If you're like, oh, LinkedIn, I don't know about LinkedIn. Like just start, start with alumni. You have something in common already. <laughs> the other thing I can think of too, is thinking about starting your, your network is talk to your professor. And if you're, if you're in a program or thinking about applying to a program, ask one of the professors or the director if they can connect you to some alumni. That's a great thing to do too, because you're gonna meet somebody who completed the program that you're interested in. You're gonna figure out what their career trajectory has been, what they've done with the degree, what went well, what they would do differently. And that, once again, that's a commonality you guys are gonna already have to move that relationship forward. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And I want to jump into, I'm kind of pivoting a little bit here with this next question, but you know, with, with the crazy world we live in, it seems like everything is changing day to day and, and there's a lot to keep up on and some really common advice, you know, in the career space has been, you know, it's important to stay up to date with news and trends and, and things happening in your field. And I think that honestly is, is more important now than ever before. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective as a faculty, but also, again, somebody who's been in professional practice, why is it important for students to be involved, you know, not just in their academic side of, of their, their growth, but involved in that career side of things, you know, knowing what's going on in their field? Um, what are some advances? What are some threats to the field? I don't know. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to think about with, with any career things are changing so fast with the introduction of like new technologies, AI, social media, you know, I think we're seeing all careers pivot one way or another because of the influences on these different things in the world of dietetics and nutrition. It feels like things are changing every single day. I'm not quite sure they are changing every day, but the information that's being pushed out by media and by influencers maybe that looks like it's changing every day. But I think what we know is, is nutrition is a pretty new science. And although it is evolving and we're learning more about, you know, microbiome and some different things that influence our health that we didn't really think about before, it really does come down to basics of eating more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, um, you know, moderating our intake of animal products, being physically active. The problem with that is, is it's not sensationalized and it's not always exciting. It's not always kind of, Instagram worthy, right? <laughs> not Instagram worthy, right? It's not some of these like fad diets and different things. And, and it's hard because I think somebody wants something that's going to change everything overnight. And what we know with general health is things don't change overnight. But, you know, I, I'm always interested in talking about like what the latest trends are and what we're seeing and how does that impact overall health. And um, you and I were, were talking, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago and 
you know, kind of talking about some basis of nutrition. I love talking about nutrition and, and most people do because everybody eats, right? That's a commonality between all of us. Once again, it's something that we can network about. Yeah. Everybody typically eats food. And we were talking about um, the impacts of things like DoorDash and Uber Eats and how these can be, you know, potentially detrimental to health. And it's kind of one of the soapboxes I'm on right now, because one, it's very expensive. And within our current economic constraints, I think that's hard on individuals. And two, it's really interesting to think about when we go out to eat, food tends to be higher in calories, higher in fat, higher in salt, and just more complex. And as we eat out, eat out, eat out, eat out, what we're doing is we're expecting these really um, complex flavors and tastes. And then we move away from some of the basics of food that really are delicious. Things like scrambled eggs or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that can be very healthy, but they tend to start tasting bland if we're eating a different style of food for every meal, every day for months on end. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that are constantly changing. That's one thing I think about right now, quite often, the economic impact and also the health impact that, you know, you can get on your phone and dial something up and in 30 minutes it can be on your doorstep. Um, it's just an important thing to consider as we think about what we eat on a daily basis, not necessarily, you know, I'm all about having fun foods and having special occasions. But again, thinking about what we're doing on a daily basis is really important. And what we're finding is that has not, that's not changing as rapidly as what the media is saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is such an interesting topic. And, you know, a few things that came to mind on the flip side. So certainly I think technology can enhance, but also hinder <laughs> things like this. And I am curious like there's a lot, I've seen a lot of different apps coming out like Noom and all kinds of different, um, you know, kind of health-based apps. I'm curious, like what's your, what's your take on, and obviously like every app is different, but do you see technology being a helpful tool in those scenarios? What are your thoughts there? It really depends on the individual. Just as, you know, there's a lot of different apps. There's, yeah, there's Noom, there's, uh, Lumen, which was like the little device that you blow in. And I think that this technology has a place and can serve some individuals. But what we know is as a society, we have become more health conscious, but we haven't become healthier. And that's really the important thing to consider. We can use this technology to make things easier on us or to track things, but there's always a potential disservice it's doing to us. We don't want pe people to feel obsessive about health behaviors. Right. Um, we don't want people to feel bad about themselves if they try a health behavior and it doesn't stick. The thing that what we know is, is behavior change is very difficult. We think about, we wanna change this or this or this, but when it comes into practice, you know, we kind of do the same things every single day. So it's good to think about taking baby steps to make one small change at a time. And over time, we can see general behavior shift. But if people are becoming overwhelmed, obsessed, critical, they can develop body dysmorphia or just 
disordered eating habits, that's when technology is a big negative and we really want to move away from it. So again, it depends on the person, but I think there are benefits to technology, but there are always drawbacks as well. And I think you really drill home that point that it's a tool. It's not necessarily a solution, right? It still comes down to what are you putting in your mouth? What are you eating every day? What exercise are you doing or not doing? So I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really, what we have to look at is health overall is, is our behaviors over time. It's not what we do today and tomorrow. It's not what we do this week and next week. You know, we just, when you know, we're coming in or out of the holidays every year and, and people get really focused on, you know, how do the holidays impact health? But again, that's a couple of weeks, that's a month. That is not necessarily our entire year or lifespan. So that's really, really have to look at is what are our behaviors long-term and how does that impact our health? Not these necessarily short-term behaviors. Yeah. And just to dive into another aspect of something you've already touched on that I just thought was really interesting. Certainly there are health implications, but also, um, and specifically thinking about the different food delivery apps, there's also the financial aspect. And the reason it just like caught my attention was my husband listens to all kinds of podcasts about um, finances and, and all of that. And I like, I'm a secondhand listener, like it's on, so I hear it. But but I, you know, it's interesting. We've listened to several episodes where they go through personal finance and they're like, oh my gosh, here's where you're spending money. And like 99% of the time, Every single person on the shows I've listened to, delivery, food delivery is a common, common, common occurrence, which, you know, sitting back, I was like, oh, that's crazy that they spend so much money on food. But then when you look at your own, you know, budgeting for the month, it's not too hard to find, you know, oh, well, I did go out once this week and oh, it was there, you know, so it is kind of an interesting thing to think about that impact on finances. And like you said, especially at a time where inflation is high and prices are just through the roof on just about everything. Um, you know, I think that is a huge part of the conversation as well. So anyway, I just appreciate you bringing that piece of it up. Yeah. Groceries are high. Eating out is high. But the other thing is if we're ordering food to be delivered, if you start looking at the fees and such that go right. along with that, and we're doing that multiple times a day or a week or months, it really does have a significant financial impact. And I think it's really interesting because, I mean, now we could just start talking about finances because I actually love go, finances, go, go. And food. <laughs> finances and food are very similar, right? You don't know what you eat unless you track it. You don't know what you spend unless you track it. Like, I think those two things are parallel each other really well. Yeah. And there's some similarities there. If you don't track it, you likely don't have a really good understanding of where all of those numbers are going. Yes. Oh, okay. We might be going down a rabbit hole, but this also makes me think of like atomic habits, right? And, and a piece that's really stuck from, from those, I don't know if folks are familiar with that book. I'll have to link it in the bio, but they, you know, the author really dives into one aspect of, of building habits is, is creating an environment that encourages you to be successful. And this is a really sad example, but I found that we had moved a TV into my husband and I's room and I was watching like the TV was always on. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to bed. I don't need to turn the TV. I was like, okay, this feels a little bit like addiction might be a strong word, but like, this is a strong habit that I have formed over the years. And so I decided, I was like, okay, I told Jesse, I'm like, we have to get this TV out of our bedroom. Like I, that's not helpful. And so after reading that book, I was like, okay, I'm going to make that environmental change. Now, obviously again, there's still behaviors. And so it's like, okay, we still have a TV downstairs but it's in, you know, a less convenient place. It's in a whatever. And so that's been a really interesting experience. And again, 
by no means am I I'm perfect and certainly still try to limit screen time, but it is interesting to think about those environmental factors. And I'm really curious how that could play into like food. Cause I think that's actually something they address in that book is like eating habits. But anyway, what they do you address eating habits in that book? But I think that's actually the perfect example that you just used, because I think a lot of people will resonate with that. A lot of people have a television in their bedroom. And so they get into bed at night, they turn on the television and that blue light influences circadian rhythms, you know, being in, especially the television we have now, this more of um reality TV, it engages people. So they keep watching, they're not falling asleep, they're staying engaged. And so that influences overall sleep. And we know that your sleep habits influence your overall health. And it just kind of spirals from there. And the same thing I think about food, you know, if you think about what we do on a daily basis, we kind of do the same things. We eat breakfast at the same time. We tend to pick the same foods. And I always am interested when people say, oh, at three o'clock every day, I have this craving for X, Y, or Z. And it's actually not a craving. It's because we eat something at three o'clock every day. It's a habit. It's a habit. So your body's like, Hey, it's three o'clock. It's my three o'clock sugar intake time. (laughs) Like it's not a craving. We've, we've named it a craving, but it's just your body saying, Hey, we do this every single day. It's it's that time. Are we going to do that today too? And so to change that habit, you just have to do something else. Get up, walk around, call a friend, read a magazine. It doesn't matter what you do, but if you want to break that habit and those feelings within your body, you just have to do something else and repetitively day after day after day after day, and then creating that new habit instead of that old habit. So if that's reading a book before bed, instead of watching television, these little tiny micro changes lead to the integration of new habits, whether those are any type of health behaviors, eating, networking, whatever those happen to be. Absolutely. Uh, well, Lacey, I think we're gonna have to do a part two because there are so many health related food questions that I need to ask you, but <laughs> we can just have like an ask a dietitian. Maybe what you should do is you should yes. send out to your audience and have them send in their questions and then we can yes. address everybody's food questions. Okay. We might have to do a little live or something. That'd be so fun. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> uh, but for today's uh, purposes, I would love to wrap up with one final question which is basically um, what what types of career questions would you encourage people to ask themselves if they're struggling to find their career path? And so I know it's kind of a weird question, like give us questions, but I've often found in coaching, the most impact I can actually make in a student's life is by asking them powerful questions that then encourage them to find their own solution. So again, on this this kind of question of, of if we're struggling with a career path, we're not quite sure where to go, what are some questions you would encourage students to ask themselves? Absolutely. I would ask, what am I good at? Now, I think sometimes that can be a really difficult question for students to answer, but I think it's one of those things you have to put up on the sticky note or somewhere. This is what am I good at? And start adding to that list. I am a powerful advocate of Gallup Strength Finder, taking that assessment because I think it is a really positive indicator of what an individual's strengths are at every level, whether somebody's 20 or whether somebody's 65, 
really understanding what our strengths and what our drivers are are really important. So often I have all of my students take that assessment, but prior to doing that, I would encourage people to do that because it really does help them say, oh, I'm good at this. Instead of just focusing on our weaknesses, I think that's the thing that we really get caught up in on like, that we don't think about what we're good at. We think about, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. And then that's really the conversation that we're having in our head. So I'm talking to students saying, what are you good at? What are you in, what do you enjoy doing? Now that can't be, I enjoy watching Netflix. I enjoy sitting around sleeping. You know, right. we have our personal time but what really engages us and what do we see ourselves doing? Now, with that being said, it's interesting as I work with students, we often hear and get feedback like on assignments, maybe like this, this feels like busy work. What do you, I always ask, what do you think the workplace looks like? Because everything I do is not glorious. And so people will say like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a college professor. Oh, I bet it's amazing teaching students. Yes, it is. It's like 25% of what I do. <laughs> Half of what I do is like doing accreditation paperwork, updating the, to this morning I was updating the catalog for next Grading, woo. <laughs> oh, right before this, I actually was grading. <laughs> I am doing reports. I am answering emails. It is kind of, busy work because it doesn't feel like it makes a direct impact right so mm -hmm. I would say like thinking about big picture wise not nuance what do I want to see myself doing big picture wise do I want to be a part of a system do I want to be innovative do I want to directly help people do I want to indirectly help people but everyone I know who is in a professional position, got on a path with lots of questions in mind. Meaning, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I have identified some things I like and that I'm good at, and I'm gonna move in this direction. Then the questions lead to, who can I find that are that's in this, in this profession? Who can I find in this profession that can help me to learn more? and help me to connect, would my strengths be positive in this specific role or job? I also think about my husband. My husband is a pharmacist, but my husband only really does like policy development. He does not a dispensing pharmacy, so he doesn't work in a pharmacy. He works for a hospital, but he works remotely, and everything he does is like, policy development and so nobody really thinks about that when they think about pharmacy right but every every area whether that's entertainment whether that's computer science whether that's healthcare, there are so many facets of it so connecting with individuals who are in those jobs and then connecting to their network so you can learn more about all of the different avenues that you can investigate couldn't have said it better myself and and honestly it really resonates with me because this is the approach that our center, the career center teaches, which is it, we call it designing your life, but it's exactly what you've described. It's taking a piece saying, I'm interested. I'm going to move that into action. 
I'm going to start and and then I'm going to keep designing from there. And a huge part of that design process is interacting with professionals to get feedback and insight. And you hinted at this as well, but also kind of that prototyping. Let me get some experience on the job where possible, like an internship, for example, to see if, okay, is the reality that I have in my head actually the reality of the job? And so getting that experience, I think, is really, really essential too. But yeah, such such a great overview of, of the work of the Career Design Center. You nailed it, Lacey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what happens when you mentor students for years and years. You kind of have those those things in mind. I think the, the challenge, though, with an internship is you do see things from afar, even when you're up close. Now, if I had an intern here with me on a daily basis, they might think I had the, the most boring job ever because I have like 25 projects going on at the same time. And so every day I might work a little bit on this project and then switch directions and work on this project. But as an intern, you don't always see those projects fully develop and be implemented. So I absolutely have like a desk job. I sit at a computer right. every day, all day, but I have a tremendous impact on a lot of people's lives, but it's the long game, not the short game. So as yeah. students are getting, they're spending time, they're shadowing, maybe they're interning, asking um, different professionals about more of the long game. Like, what do you do over a three, six, nine, 12 month period? What projects do you work on? Where do you gain the satisfaction from? Because yeah. sometimes it's not the day to day. I could spend eight hours answering emails. And I'll tell you, that is not the glorious part of my job, but it is a required part of my job. And right. it does make an impact, but it might make an impact six, nine or 12 months down the road. Yes. And I think this is such a, an important takeaway for, for students, especially, but, but really any professional, because I, I, I think this happens a lot where students sees, like you say, a small part of a job that's like, Oh, that looks terrible. I guess it can't be the dream job because, you know, 5% is this. And I really hate that reality check. Every job is going to have pieces that you at the very least dislike, right. Or, or like less than others. And so I, I think that's a really important piece of, of kind of bringing that reality picture of saying, yes, they're going to be parts that I absolutely love. You know, I can lose myself in those, you know, this type of the work. Um, but I appreciate that long, the long game that you mentioned, because uh, you can be passionate about uh, the work that you do and not love every day of your job, right? That those coexist. <laughs> absolutely. Especially, I also, you know, not only my faculty, I have a director position. I also have five people that directly report to me. I have a great team, but just sometimes the paperwork, the annual reviews, those types of things, that's not what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the people, but I'm not always passionate about the policies, but that's okay. Like that's just part of it once again. And so I think, you know, off, there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with leadership and management positions, but there's a lot of work that come with leadership and management positions too. So I think we're always balancing what we're passionate and engaged in and then some of the logistical th things that have to be done as well but they they always come as a package deal you're not hopefully you're not going to get one without the other yeah absolutely well Lacey I can't believe it's already been an hour I've had so much fun learning from you learning about everything from networking to food to all of the good things <laughs> but I would love to just give you space um if there's anything we didn't touch on you know any final thoughts again 
on, on career development or, or networking specifically? Don't be afraid to just take a risk. Whether you're a student or not a student, just talk to somebody that's in your vicinity. I think it's, I think everyone is a little afraid of being rejected, but that's not necessarily going to happen. Strike up a conversation. And even if you're feeling a little bit nervous, maybe in the notes section of your phone, put some topics that you really like to talk about. And so think again, looking for the commonalities in people, whether, you know, whatever that the differences in people we see. So there's a lot of diversity out there, but whether that's gender diversity, age diversity, ethnic di and racial diversity, um, you know, where we grew up, where we came from, where we're going, we have a lot of things in common. So reach out to people, know who can help you, know the people that can help you to get on a path and then let that path unfold and see where it goes. We have more in common than difference. That is one of my key takeaways from this conversation, Lacey. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much again for your time and insights. It's been so fun. Thanks, Marissa. It's been great to talk to you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and tell your friends and family all about it. To learn more about the Career Design Center and ways it can support your career design and development, visit usu.edu forward slash career dash design dash center forward slash.